Awesome. Hey, listen, we've been in a series called The Comeback, and we're going to wrap that up this morning. If I haven't had an opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Zach. I'm the lead pastor here. But listen, if we've got some first-time guests in here, can we let them know that they are welcome this morning? Hey, well, we're going to dive right into this, but I have a big announcement to make Um, today that we have been planning for about two months, and I wish we could have announced it about a month ago, but it just wasn't feasible. Um, So I'm going to make you wait to the end of service. Um, (laughs) So you don't go anywhere, all right? Um, So so anyway, make sure you stick around, and I got some exciting news. I don't know if you guys take a look around, but God is genuinely growing this church, and it's just so phenomenal to see that and all the lives that have been changed. Um, I'm so excited. If Within the past uh, just three weeks alone, listen to this, past three weeks alone, we've come to see 25 people come to know Jesus. So we're super excited about that. But uh, let's go ahead and pray, and I'm going to dive right into this. Father God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that we have an opportunity, God, not just to talk about your word, but to experience and encounter your word. God, I pray that I know that there are many people from all walks of life in here, different backgrounds, different histories, different things that they've all walked through. But God, regardless of what it is, I pray that you would speak to them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So the whole premise, the whole idea of this whole comeback uh, series has basically been this. Wherever you're at, wherever you've gone through, everybody, we talked about this the first week, everybody needs a comeback. Meaning that everybody is going to go through dark moments in their life. Everybody's going to go through difficult times. Or maybe spiritually, maybe you've known Jesus for a long time, but maybe you just walk through some dry seasons where it doesn't just really make sense. It seems like the relationship that you had with God was working out well, and then all of a sudden you get out of bed one morning and it seems different. Or maybe you're here this morning because somebody invited you here, or maybe they actually literally drug you to church, and they're saying, you're going to come with me to church. And so you're squirming in your seat right now is, what is this skinny white guy going to say? Um, But hey, listen, wherever you're at, we're so glad that you're here this morning. And I genuinely believe this. Wherever you're at on the spectrum, whether you know God or not, whether you have a vibrant relationship or not, whether you're just as lost as can be and you're looking for some kind of hope, you're looking for some kind of fulfillment, I can tell you this, it will be found in Jesus. And if you just open up your heart this morning and allow some of those walls down, God will speak to you. And I promise you, you'll walk out of these doors a whole lot different than when you came in here. So here's the deal. I don't know if you're like me, but some of the most inspiring stories that I've ever come across are these comeback stories, right? You know, the football player that got an injured knee who always thought that he would never be able to get back into the game and through much training and through much support and through coaches pushing them along, he's able to get back in the game and all of a sudden they win the season with this player. Anybody know those stories that I'm talking about? These good movies that we see, they're all based on these comeback stories. Well, if you start to look at them and you start to realize Comeback stories, and this is what I want to talk about this morning, they never happen alone. Real comeback stories never happen alone. There is no good movie that is out there that is about this particular character that says, you know what, I was just so down in such a dark period of my life, but you know what, I just picked myself up by my bootstraps and I got myself through it. That doesn't make for a good story, right? 
Every comeback story happens when we allow people to come around us and push us and encourage us. So true comeback stories happen together. They happen within the context of community, within the context of a healthy and vibrant church, within the context of relationships. I don't know if you know this or not, but church is so much more than just coming on a Sunday morning and sitting in a seat. My, my goal and my dream for this church is that one day you would be able to come in these seats, maybe for the first time, and then months, if not years from now, be able to look back and somebody that maybe you didn't know when you got, first got in here, but you could turn around and say, hey, you know what? Some of my best friends go to this church. We've been through some dark times, we've been through some hard times, we've been through some celebratory times, but these are the people that I've connected with, these are the people that I've bonded with, because everybody's going to have a day when life just doesn't seem to make sense, and you're going to need people to help push you along. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and we're actually going to spend um, the entire kind of sermon in this text. And let me give you a little context before I read it, starting in chapter 4, verse 1. As we read it, Solomon, we're going to see that he has, and Solomon is the author of Ecclesiastes, we're going to see that he has some problems with God. Have you ever had a season in your life, and let's just be honest, where you've had some problems with God? Anybody want to bold enough to raise their hand? You just had some issues. You're going, God, I don't understand this. Why me? Why would this happen? I've got some issues with you. And if I had to bet, I would think that some of the same issues that Solomon has is some of the same issues that you and I have um, with God. So let's read the text. I'm just going to read verse 1 through 3, and it says this. It says, again, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to confront them. The oppressors have great power and their victims are helpless. So I concluded that the dead are better off than the living, but most fortunate of all are those who are not yet born, for they have not seen all the evil that is done under the sun. So let me summarize this because this is a dark text, okay? Basically, Solomon is looking out upon the world and he's saying, God, why such pain? Why such sorrow? Why such darkness? Why such things that just don't seem to make sense? He's looking out and he's observing all these things. And he's saying, God, if you're such a good God, then why would you allow all this pain and all this suffering? Anybody ever had that question before? Maybe you've walked through a moment in your life and you ask God the simple question, why? Why, God? You know, I'm confronted with this question almost every single day day. As a pastor, I'm consistently and constantly surrounded by sorrow all the time. And and so it's people that I'm I'm pastoring and dealing with. Maybe they've lost a loved one. And I get questions like, hey, my husband's leaving me and I've got three kids. What do I do? (laughs) Uh, I don't know. So I can point them to the text. I can point them that God is going to take care of them and God's going to love them. But how do many of you know in that moment you want to hear something a little bit more sometimes? In that moment you want answers, right? And sometimes the truth is the answers aren't there in that moment. Or I've had questions like, hey, um, I've been sick with this disease for a long time. Why hasn't God healed me? 
Why hasn't God healed me? I've been dealing with this for a long time and it seems like God is healing every every other person except for me. Has God forgotten about me? Or, Or maybe you're in here and you say, you know what? I've been praying, I've been seeking God, I have been doing everything that I know how to do and there is just this one sin that I have struggled with my entire life and it won't seem to go away. It seems like no matter what I do, how hard I pray, even how hard I open up sometimes, it just will not leave. Like, what do I do? And so I think if we're to look at life, we have some of the same questions that Solomon does, right? There are these, these situations that arise in our life and we just don't know what to do. I start to think about Solomon's frustration with God and it really starts to make a lot of sense because there's a lot of depression, there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of sickness and at times we just don't simply know what to do and we don't have the answer. So what is Solomon trying to get at? Ultimately, the first problem that Solomon has with God is this. There's pain and there's depression in the world. And then the second problem that he's going to have is he's going to ask, and we're about to read it in Ecclesiastes 4.4, is he going to ask the question, God, why are we so broken? Why are we so broken? Do you ever see yourself or find yourself doing certain things and you don't know why you do them? Like all of a sudden it seems like, man, you just, you're having this great stint, this great relationship with Jesus, and then you wake up in the morning and your wife looks at you and she's like, what happened? Like what side of the bed did you wake up on? Like what happened? Because there's just this brokenness. Genesis 3 talks about it when sin enters into the world, that the world begins to become fractured and there's this brokenness. So Ecclesiastes 4.4. Now this is Solomon again. It says, then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbor. Most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbor. So here's what Solomon is saying. The clothes that you have on right now are not simply clothes that you have on because you're trying to cover yourself, although that's a good idea. (laughs) But ultimately, why? You choose them because you want to be noticed, right? Like, nobody wears something intentionally that's like, I absolutely hate this, so I'm not going to wear this. The deeper motivation behind the clothes that we put on is because we want to be noticed. We want people to envy us. We want people to look at us and say, hey, what they have, that is what I want. I mean, the truth is, you don't purchase a fancy car because you need a fancy car, right? I mean, you you purchase a convertible, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing this, but you do it because you want to be noticed, And you can give us all the, well, it's fast, I like it, all that kind of stuff. But the truth is, you purchase it because you want somebody to say something about you. And here's the truth. At the center of our hearts, at the center of some of our deepest motivations, we want to be noticed, we want to be central, and we want to be the focus of attention. Now, I want you to hear me. I'm going to continue for about 10 minutes setting up just the brokenness of men and women. And I want to give you the resolve in a moment. But here's the deal. Let's just be honest in here. Some of you, I'd say summer is about four, three, four months away. And let's just be real honest. The reason that many of you right now are hitting up the gym is not for health reasons. It's because you know summer's coming around and you got to get in that bathing suit. Right? Like, you, you are not there because you're like, I, you know what, I just want my heart to be healthy. No, you want to look good. 
That is why you go to the gym. Nobody cares about their heart being healthy. I don't. I do. But the the truth is we go to the gym. We go to work out. Why? Because we want to be noticed. We envy our neighbors. We look at somebody else and we say, that's what I want. And so I'm going to work to get that. You want to stand out. You want to be the center of attention. So let's dive a little bit deeper into this. The truth is when everybody wants to be the center of the universe, they don't have a care in the world for others. They don't care about people. It's all about them. And Solomon's going to say two things in verse 5 that we really need to take note of. So let's read 5 and 6. This is Ecclesiastes 4, verse 5 and 6. It says, Fools... Fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. And yet, better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. We're going to unpack that in a moment, but here's the first thing that we need to notice. So many people see all this pain, and they either tend to go one or two ways. They say, okay, if there's all this pain and suffering in the world, then there must not be a God. You look at it and you say, and I don't think that's the majority of us, but I think some people do. They look at it and they say, man, why would a loving God create such a world that is just so sorrowful and painful and all these things? There must not be a God. But I don't think most people go to that point. Most people take the next route. Let's keep reading. This is verse 7. This is, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. Now, notice this, verse 8. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? And why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It, is, it all seems so meaningless and depressing. So here's what he's saying. He sees all the hurt. He sees all the sorrow. He sees all the pain and all the things that can go wrong. And here's what he's saying. The truth is, the majority of people don't initially jump to just rejecting that there is a God. The majority of people just reject that there's something wrong with them. So, so here's the truth. We begin to numb things. Instead of dealing with the issue head on, what do we do? We just suppress it. And if I, I guarantee you, if after service was over and somebody asked you the question, how are you, you would probably genuinely answer with a, Yes, I'm fine. And really believe it. And really actually believe that you're okay. When the truth is, there are some deeper things going on in your life that you've never dealt with. And you've begun to got so good at just suppressing it and numbing it. I don't know if you know this, but the greatest selling narcotic in the world is antidepressants. Is antidepressants. I mean, we, we literally live in a culture now, instead of actually people, and I'm not saying, look, there are things that I believe that people do need to take medicine for, okay? So I'm not against that kind of stuff. What I'm saying is this, though. I think people have gotten so fascinated with the idea is, you know what, I don't want to struggle, I don't want to deal with pain, so give me something to numb it so I don't have to deal So I don't have to fight through this. So I don't have to deal with this. And what ends up happening is we end up suppressing the issue and we never deal with the deeper things of the heart. And it's the reason that we're depressed. 
It's the reason that we look at life and it just doesn't make sense. It's the reason that we look at life and there's sorrow and there's pain because there's real issues in our life that have never been dealt with, ever. Solomon says, ultimately, that it's easy for us to just put the blinders on. Instead of dealing with the issue, we would rather just put the blinders on. Instead of fighting through the pain, our default mode is to numb it. Just watch some TV so I don't have to think about it. But the truth is God has a much better plan for you and for me than just numbing the pain. He wants us to actually deal with it. He wants us to actually look at it, focus on it, and allow him to heal the deeper wounds in our own soul. And I've read all of this, I've set all this up for you to get a good picture of what the human heart and human soul is like without Jesus. Okay? Without Jesus, and then there's one other important thing, without community. So let's read this. This is the one good thing that Solomon's going to say in this depressing chapter in verse 9. It's the reason that I read all this to get to this point, okay? Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and what? Defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So here's the thing. It's obvious that we need people. See, the thing about blind spots is they're blind spots. You can't see them. So you may convince yourself that there's nothing going on and you don't need other people poking and prodding into those things, but the truth is they're called blind spots for a reason because there's issues in your life that you don't see, but they're there. They're there. So it's obvious that the world is broken, right? It's obvious that there's sorrow. It's obvious that there's pain. And anybody else who would say otherwise is probably an OSC kids right now <laughs> because they have not lived long enough. See, sorrow to my five-month-old Timothy is when my wife finally gets time to go and just go to the bathroom for a few seconds and he doesn't see her. He's lost sight of her for like 30 seconds. And if you have a, a baby, when they don't see the mom for long enough, what happens? Screams, right? He's freaking out. That is the most sorrow he has ever felt. Or sorrow for Timothy is when he doesn't get his bite of cereal quick enough, you know? Because in his mind, he's like, oh my God, what is this feeling in my stomach? I'm dying. <laughs> like, that's what he thinks. When he just needs another bite of cereal and my wife didn't give it to him fast enough. So that is the deepest sorrow that he has ever felt. But the truth is there's people in here that have felt great sorrow. And there's people in here that have walked through divorce. There's people in here that have buried a loved one. There's people in here that, who have walked through pain and addiction. There's people in here who are married today, but you're living separate lives. You live under the same roof. Maybe you fell in love at one time and now you're like, what the heck happened? What's going on? There's people that have walked through genuine, deep heartache, deep sorrow. And I, listen, I believe if you would just open up your ears this morning that God wants to do something. Because listen, however you got here this morning, it's not by accident. God brought you, I don't believe in chance, God brought you here for a very specific reason. 
in whatever pain, whatever hopelessness you feel, I can promise you that there is a comeback for you. But I can, almost, I can also promise you this. You cannot do it by yourself. Great comeback stories involve always a group of people. A group of people. In the middle of all of this, in the middle of all the sorrow that Solomon is describing, he makes this last final kind of thought saying the only way that we get through this is if Jesus is in the center and we lean on one another. We've got to lean on one another. The truth is, you need people more than you think you do. Because there's going to be burdens and weights in life that you cannot carry by yourself. At all. We moved in um, when, when we started this church about a year ago. Um, we put our house up for sale in Jennings and we were trying to sell it. And uh, long story short, we bought a house here in Crowley about six months ago. And um, I've shared this frustration of mine before. I hate moving stuff. Like I am the guy, if, if, if the table needs to fit through the doorway and it doesn't fit quite perfectly, my wife's like, just take the door off. I'm like, no, it's going through. I will kick this thing through and mess up every wall and break it. And it'll be like this because I am not getting a drill and undoing stuff. So anyway, we had this huge um, side-by-side refrigerator that needs to get in my house. And uh, so I realized quite quickly that I cannot get this thing in, in my house by myself because it is way too heavy to carry. And so I call up some guys here in the church. I was like, hey, can you help me come move this fridge? It's going to take like 20 minutes, tops. Okay, um, well, about two hours later, after we have taken the door off, removed the doors from the fridge, I am wanting to get this fridge up to the door and be like, babe, I'm sorry, you're going to deal with a dented fridge, broken walls, just deal with it because I'm sweating and this thing is like not going in. Long story short, we end up finally getting this fridge in, and I kind of reflect back on it. I think that's what a lot of people look like most times. When you don't understand that life is better when you don't do it by yourself. See, there's these heavy things in life sometimes to carry, and you don't have all the answers, and you don't know what to do. And sometimes, because we don't know what to do, we just stay stuck, and we stay there, and we keep on heaping more and more and more weight and more burdens. When in reality, we could probably get over that hump, even though it may be heavy, when we have other people that say, hey, let me help you with this. Let me help you pick up some of this weight and move through this. There's no way that I could have got that refrigerator in by myself. I would have been so frustrated. (laughs) I would have broke that refrigerator into a thousand pieces to get it into my house on my own. So here's the deeper question. Have you ever tried to heal the deep insecure wounds in your heart by yourself? Have you ever tried to do it by yourself? Hey, you know what? I don't need anybody. Just going to be between me and God. We'll work through this. You ever tried to do that? How's that working? (laughs) It doesn't work out too well, right? It doesn't work out so well. You know that part of you in your heart that misfires, that part of you that keeps leading you back to the same old stuff over and over, that part of you that says, I don't want to be in this place, but yet you keep finding yourself back in that place? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Say, God, I hate this, and you repent, and you ask for forgiveness, and you walk away, and two weeks later, you're back in the same spot. And you're going, how in the world do I keep getting myself here? What is going on? I can almost assure you, according to the scriptures, 
that it's because you're living life in isolation. You're living life in isolation. There's two different things, and we see this in the scriptures. Jesus lives life. He does seek solitude. Solitude and isolation are two completely different things. Solitude is when you break away. Hey, I need some time to recover, refresh, maybe read, spend time with Jesus, and I'm going to come back renewed and refreshed. Isolation is this. Life is too heavy, and I just want to down trot. I want to sit on the couch. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to be around people. I don't want to think. I want to numb. That's isolation. And the truth is, the reason that some of us are still continuously trying to heal the deep insecure wounds in our own heart is because we're living life in isolation. We actually believe the lie that the enemy has been telling us over and over and over again. You don't need anybody. You can heal this on your own. You can do this by yourself. Listen, this is why the doctrine of the Trinity is so important. Let me point you to something. God doesn't do it by himself. God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. (laughs) This is why this is so important. Because he models it for us. I mean, you, the very first pages of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, you see them creating the world together. Together. So here's the deal. If God doesn't do it on his own, what makes you think you can? If God doesn't do it by himself, what makes us think that we can? Here's the reason. We believe a lie. We believe a lie. As soon as I open up, then people are going to view me different. As soon as I open up, I'm just going to get torn to shreds. As soon as I open up, and we list out all these things that we think are going to happen, when in reality, it's the deepest, best thing that we need. See, life can be weighty. It can be unbearable. And here's the truth. Hopefully, I pray to God that this church can be a place where you find deep, intimate relationships. We have this term, that we say all the time, and it's simply spiritual family. Listen, some of you did not come from good families. You didn't come from a good background. And so there is this desire in you searching and longing and looking for unity, for connection, for relationship, for fellowship. And listen, The relationship and the fellowship that you're looking for goes so much deeper than just some random guy to hang out with at a bar, okay? Because that goes nowhere. All you did was just get to talk about how much life sucks. (laughs) There There was no like resolve in that. Like, man, my life sucks too. Mine does too. Great, let's all cry together. Ultimately, I wanna be around people that I can share the deepest hurts And they're going to say, you know what, I don't have the answers to that, but we're going to help you walk through this. We're going to help you get through this. I also want to tell you this morning, if you came in here hurting and broken with no family, this is ultimately, at the end of the day, what we want this to be. We see this more than just a building more than just an institution, but it's a family. It's, It's people that come together and love one another and take care of one another with God being our father. I mean, verse 10 says, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. The other can reach out and help. As I said earlier, the thing about blind spots is you can't see them, right? See, if you can't see when you're weak or certain areas in your life when you're prone to fall, how are you going to keep yourself from falling? 
You have to have other people around you. You need godly men. You need godly women to walk up to you and say things like, I'm nervous for you right now. Here's the deal. A true friend is not somebody that is always going to tell you the things that you want to hear. A true friend is going to be like, hey, bro, I know you're about to walk in there and you got a gigantic booger on your face. Like, take it off. A, a, a true friend can look at you and say, man, I've known you for a long time. And dude, your marriage isn't going well right now. Man, I've known you for a long time and man, you seem off. Is there something going on? Is there something that we can help with? Listen, if you have a friend like that, keep them. Don't push them away. God intentionally put them in your life for a reason. We need people that can do this, that can love us and confront us. That can love us and confront us. That speak the truth to us, but love us through the process. These are the kind of friends that we need. And listen, today, if you don't have a friend like that, if you don't have community like that, you desperately need it. And this is what we're here for today. This is why we do all of this. For you to find family, for you to find community. The truth is I find very few people actually ever have relationships like that. Because the truth is sometimes when people love you enough to confront you, you see it as, hey, they don't like me, I'm not enough. And we run. We run away from people like that. Lean into people like that. Don't run from people like that. Lean into it. Lean into it. Solomon also says, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but there is this thing called winter. We only experience it a few days in Louisiana. But in other places of the country, it gets really cold. I mean, if you look right now in the Northeast, I mean, they're experiencing some heavy, heavy, heavy snow. My brother lives in Nashville, and he's sending me pictures of him sledding down You know, and I'm sending him pictures of us in Christmas and tank tops and like shorts. But there is this thing called winter and it's going to get really cold. Um, Many years ago, some of you guys know this, some of you don't. um, Before we started this church, I was involved in the whole film world. And I used to work for the Outdoor Channel filming hunting shows. Go figure, I hate to hunt, but I got to film hunting shows. And uh, so I'm doing all this kind of stuff. And uh, one of the places that we regularly would hunt at and film at was in Wyoming. And so I was on a trip there. There was no snow on the ground. It's very cold, though. And I've got some hiking boots on and just some, just some gear. And so uh, we finish up filming. I get back on a plane, fly back to Louisiana, and I get a phone call, I think a few days later. I don't know how long it was, a few days later, and say, hey, we need you to come back up here. And I remember very specifically asking the guy on the phone, hey, what's the weather like? Is it cold? Is it going to snow? Do I need the right kind of shoes? And he's like, no, it's not going to snow. Just come, bring your hiking boots. You'll be fine. I'm like, great. So I pack a small bag, get all my camera gear, head on up there. And um, we sleep in this cabin one night and we wake up the next morning. There's snow everywhere. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I can't just look at my boss and be like, hey, you can't film today because I only have hiking boots. Um, and so we're trudging through this snow for a few hours, 
and um, my feet are getting like soaking wet. And I've never felt this in my life before, but I got to a point where I literally, like I could not feel my feet. And you know, like, you know when you get something in your body hurts, your mind starts playing all these tricks on you. Like I'm thinking I've watched too many Alaskan shows, you know. I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to lose every toe. I'm going to lose all my feet. Like it's kind of that whole thing, like whenever you think something's wrong and you go check WebMD and always the answer is like, oh, you you have a rash? You're dying. You're dying. You're like, oh my God, that's kind of what's playing through my head. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Well, it gets to a point where it's like so painful for me to even walk around. I finally got to get some guys to put me on a four-wheeler and bring me back to this cabin. And I sit back in this cabin for uh, the rest of the day, and my feet had swollen up so big just from getting so cold. And one of the dumbest things I did is while it was so cold, I ran a hot bath and stuck my feet in. That was, don't ever do that. Um, But here's, here's why I share that story. There's going to be cold moments in your life. There's going to be things where you face things where you actually need other people to carry you out of that situation. And here, here's, here's the worst part of it all. If you're not in genuine community, you're going to face those cold moments and there's going to be nobody around you to help you carry you out of that circumstance or that situation. You know, Acts talks about it this way. A true Christian believers should carry one another's burdens. We should carry one another's burdens. We should be able to look at people and say, you're going through a difficult time right now, and how can I serve you, and how can I love you through this whole process? But here's the greater question. Why do so many find it so difficult to walk in deep spiritual life with other believers? Why do we find it so hard to be open and deep with other people? Well, the truth is, according to Ecclesiastes, Solomon has actually already answered this question. And so what I want to do real quickly is just give you four reasons why we don't do this in hopes that we can counteract some of the lies that some of us believe so that we can enter into this genuine community that the Bible speaks about. Number one, number one, envy will always derail your chances of deep relationships. Always. So verse, uh, Ecclesiastes 4.4 4 says this, Then I observe that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbor. So what is he saying? Have you ever found, some, have you ever found yourself celebrating when somebody else fails? <laughs> maybe you got a job, maybe you got a job and somebody else got a promotion that you really wanted. So instead of being happy for them and excited for them, you're like, God, yeah, I'm happy for you. <laughs> And there's no true, genuine joy or happiness with it because you envy them. You wanted that position. Has someone ever gotten on your nerves because good just came to them? Maybe life just seemed to work out for them in a certain instance and you envy that and so you get frustrated with them and in your heart you begin to hate them. But truthfully, Christ calls us to celebrate when others succeed but it's hard to do that when we've got envy in our hearts. It's hard to do that when we see people as just something that we want to get out of them rather than, hey, how can we both offer to this relationship and make it better for both of us and as a whole? The truth is many of us celebrate when others fail and are depressed when they succeed. (laughs) What would it look like if we were allow God, to allow God to deal with the envy in our own hearts and so that we could genuinely celebrate when others succeed. 
And maybe they get the position that we wanted or they walk through something and we actually come alongside them and we're excited with them. Here's the truth. If you're not willing to address the wickedness in your own heart, relationships will always fail. Let me, let me say something real quick to marriages. The reason sometimes that your marriage is not working or it doesn't work is not because of your spouse. It's because of you. It's because of you. And, and here's the deal. We've always got to look inwardly first before we look at the other person. Okay, what's going on in me? God, is there something in me that needs to be dealt with? Is there jealousy? Is there anger? Is there frustration? Is there envy? What is going on with me? We have to look at this first. Relationships do not work when we do not deal with the sinful nature in our own hearts. Number two, according to Ecclesiastes, number two, laziness kills deep relationships. Ecclesiastes 4, 5 says it this way, fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. The biggest killer of deep Christian, authentic community is laziness. Simply laziness. Early on in my marriage, the thing that constantly kept us from getting more um, acquainted with each other and intimate with each other was just simple laziness. I don't want to enter in because if I enter into the deep stuff, it's taxing. It takes work. Intimacy, here's the deal. Intimacy takes work. If you want the friendships that you envy other people seeing, then you have to put effort into it. It doesn't, you can't just sit back and say, you know what, I just want deep relationships. Come to me. (laughs) You have to enter in, you enter into the mess of life, you enter into the mess of relationships, and it gets messy, but guess what? At the end of the day, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. This may sound harsh, but I feel like I gotta say this, okay? Laziness, lazy people do not know true community. Why? Because ultimately, they're in the relationship for what they can give, get out of it rather than give into it. They're not there um, for you. They're not there for the other person. They're there simply as, hey, what can you offer me? What can you offer me? And this just absolutely obliterates true community. Because genuine, authentic community, every person there is there to say, what can I give? What can I give? And I'm not saying that it's always perfect. Number three, dissatisfaction wreaks havoc on true relationships. Ecclesiastes 6 says it this way, it's better to have one, full, one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing after the wind. So what does this mean? It simply means this. If you're always focused on tomorrow rather than today, you're always going to be dissatisfied. So, so let, me, let me put it to you this way. When you look at some person, maybe you do it in marriage, maybe you do it in community, maybe you do it in friendship. When you look at a person and say this, when this person gets this together, then we'll be better. When this person does this, then we can work. When this person does this, when my husband just gets this in his head, then we'll work. But here's the truth about the gospel. Jesus does not love some future version of that person. He loves them right now. 
And so this is what we have to apply to relationships. Jesus loves you in your mess right now, not some future version when you think that you're going to clean it all up. Jesus loves you and he loves us and he loves your friendships and your marriage in the state it is in right now. He wants to do things in your life, through your life, right now. And if we're constantly dissatisfied with what's going on, then we're constantly speaking to those people, I'm never happy and this is never going to work. You ever have those people that it's just like, you feel like no matter what you can do, like you cannot impress this person. Like no matter what you say, no matter what you do, nothing is going to matter. It's usually because of the fact that they're always thinking about tomorrow rather than today. The truth is I hurt so badly for some of you stuck in tomorrow. Because here's the deal. God wants to do something in you today. God wants to do something in you right now. You know, this is one of the greatest downfalls of social media. That's why I take a break from it every single year is because people get on and they scroll through their phones and their computers and their iPads and they look at other people's lives and they say, if only I could have that, then I'd be happy. If I could live life like this, if I could look like this, if I could fit like this, if I could do this. And they start thinking about this future version of this fantasy of life rather than what God wants to do in them right now. So here's the deal. You know the deeper issues of your life, the pain and the sorrow that you walk through? Like God wants to deal with that today. Stop thinking about, well, when tomorrow, when I clean things up, when tomorrow, when I stop doing this in a few weeks from now, when I finally have money, then I can do this. And all this stuff, God wants to do something right now. See, it's, it's incredibly important to believe that God is good to you and loves you in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your sorrow. I genuinely believe that some of you are here today for the first time because God wants to show you what real family looks like. He wants to lovingly pull you in and say, hey, listen, son, daughter, wherever you're at in your life right now, you don't have to do it by yourself. You don't have to do it by yourself. The truth is, there's some of you in here that have that community around you. You're just not tapping into it. The truth is, some of you have the people that love you enough to tell you the truth but you've put up so many walls, they don't want to tell you the truth anymore. You know, according to the scriptures, we should actually, I heard a guy say it like this, we should put a necklace around our neck and a sign on it that says, tell me the truth. Man, tell me the truth. I mean, if there's something going on in my life, let me know, because I don't want to stay stuck here. But the truth is, if you keep denying the people that love you, eventually they'll stop telling you the truth. And eventually you'll get turned over to yourself thinking that you know everything that you need to do. And that is one of the most dangerous places that you can be at. Number four, the last one, and we're going to wrap this up. Being overworked kills relationships. Being overworked kills relationships. I want you to pay close attention to Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse seven. Listen to this. I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is verse 8. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, 
yet who works as hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself at the end of his life, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much now? So what Solomon is saying, they have this man who is so driven by making money and working because he finds so much fulfillment in his job that he steps back and says, you know what? I haven't even had time to invest into relationships. I don't, I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. I don't have a friendships. Nothing because I've just been working my fingers to the bone. And he's saying at the end of the day, for what? For what? Because possessions at the end of the day will lose their luster. They'll lose their attractiveness. Possess all those things that you worked for so hard to attain and so hard to get, you cannot take them with you. And at the end of the day, they won't mean anything to you. I mean, the greatest way that I can explain it is a device that probably all of you hold right now, your phone. I mean, the the advertising companies are so good at this. Hey, that piece of technology that you have in your hand, you need the next one. And then you start to believe, yeah, this is a piece of junk, although I got it like two weeks ago. (laughs) You want the new one, you want the upgrade, and then you get the new one, and what? It starts the whole cycle over again, right? The reason many of us don't have genuine community is because we're working to acquire stuff rather than relationships. We're working to acquire stuff I don't know if you know this, but there's only a few things in this life that are going to last to the very end. Jesus, friendships, and the church. That's it. That is, man, that's it. Jesus, friendships, and the church. I'll tell you how friendships last. Because one day you'll be able to stand face to face before Jesus and you'll be able to see the people that you had conversations with and they came to know Jesus because you had the boldness to tell them about him tell you how the church lasts. The church lasts because Jesus said it's the hope of the world. It's the conduit of which people come in and they hear the good news and then they go out to the world and they tell people that are hopeless and dying and hurting and broken. And all the stuff that you've been working so hard to attain, you can't bring that with you. Relationships, Jesus, and the church is the only thing that lasts. So here's the question, the final question. What are you doing to invest into those things? Because here's the truth. Comeback stories don't happen alone. Some of you have been stuck in a place for a long time and you are not going to get out of it until you live out what Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 says, two people are better than one. Two people are better than one. The deep, insecure wounds that you have in your heart right now, you cannot heal them by yourself. Husbands, deep down, let me me be honest with you. Deep down, your wife wants you, not the possessions that you can provide for her. It's truth. She wants you. Man, she might be excited by the new car. She might be excited by the new house. But deep down, she wants you. I see this with my kids. Man, deep down, when dad's busy, they don't care about the little trinket gifts that I bring home. They want me. Dad, can you jump on the trampoline? Dad, can we play Wii? Dad, can we play Super Smash Brothers, which I get obliterated by a seven-year-old all the time. (laughs) 
They want me. Your wife wants you. Your husband wants you. Your friends want you. They don't want your stuff. They want you. They want deep intimacy, deep connection. Every human being in here longs for true, genuine community. And comeback stories only happen when we understand this process. That the way that Jesus designed the Christian life to work is together. Life together. And the moment that you decide to do it alone is the moment that you begin to derail your chances of having a comeback. So, how do we have genuine community? How do we have true and real relationships? Well, the first thing that I would say is this. If you're a man in here, every single Friday at Old Time Cafe, we have a men's Bible study. If you're in here and you're, you're coming in, you're saying, man, the church is growing. I don't know anybody anymore. What do I do? I don't like this. Get in life groups. Like, get in a life group. When you hear about all the launches coming in February and all the different ones coming, find one. Get in it. If you're new in here, we've got Next Step that is constantly going on. It's happening right after service this Sunday. Jump in Next Step. The other thing that I would tell you, if you don't want to wait at all, look at some of the dream teams that happen. Man, serve, go serve in kids. Go serve in kids. Go serve in, in our greeters and our media team or whatever. And you know what this happens? Because we genuinely believe this. It's much more than just serving in a position. At the end of the day, it's going to get you connected to the people that you need to be connected with. That's why we do it. It's not just to fulfill a position. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's to get you into community. Because here's the thing that I'm convinced of. You can do a job that you absolutely don't like, but if you do it with the people that you love, you'll love it every single time. You ever showed up to work where the job was maybe mediocre, but the people were awesome? And like you just loved it? You loved it? I remember many, many summers ago, I worked for a construction company, and my sole job was a concrete truck would come up, dump it into a wheelbarrow, and just shovel all day. Sucked. <laughs> Absolutely sucked. It, the bonus was is I got ripped. That's how I got like this. Um, <laughs> but here's the deal. It was a job that I hated, but I loved it because I loved the people I was doing it with. Man, I had some of the, the greatest times doing a job that I absolutely hated. And so I would strongly encourage you to do something at the end of service. If you're not plugged in and connected in any kind of way to this church, do it. Go to this connect table, fill out a connect card, say, hey, I'd like to serve in kids. If you want to serve in kids, there's a, actually a table back there. You can sign up for that. Okay? If, wherever you want to be, find a fit. Find a place. Because this is where comebacks are going to happen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that today, God, that we have an opportunity, God, not just to experience you, but to encounter you.